we're back with this week's edition of Brotherly Mobile, Episode 10, an ongoing discussion between two longtime mobile developers in the Philadelphia area. We talk about all things related to mobile software development. Today's date is February 16th, 2015. My name is Andy Obusik, the iOS guy, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Ryan, the Android guy. Hey now, Matt. Hey, Andy. How's, uh, how's things going for you this cold week? Things are going good. Loving life. Just fighting through this winter. February is uh, probably my least favorite month of the year. Yeah, it's no good. Except uh, Groundhog's Day is this month, I think. And that's one of my favorite holidays. Yeah, how'd you celebrate it? <laughs> uh, well, ate, I just kind of... Ate, ate some groundhog? <laughs> uh, not necessarily a real groundhog, but groundhog-shaped uh, treats. Just groundhog meat? No, I've never had groundhog meat, but I hear it's... Uh, I hear it, you know, if necessity calls for it, then, you know, it's not bad. Yeah, so what else is going on? Uh, well, I like uh, that I learned something today. I thought that maybe I was crazy. Um, and at least with this part of my life, I've determined that I'm not crazy. There was something going on. So every week, you and I do this podcast, um, which, by the way, this is episode Ten. So this is ten times we've we've done this now. So uh, high five over the air. That's pretty awesome. Um, and I'll let you share something special about that, I guess. Uh, which I see here in the Google Doc that we share. But this is okay. Here's something that I learned in Google Docs or Google Drive. I'm not sure what it's. Uh, I guess what it's called. I guess I go to the Drive app on iOS um, first and look for the document that we share in a certain folder. And for whatever reason, every week it's not available in that do- in whatever app that I've looked at it in if you are the one who's created it. And I'm like I know it's there, you tell me it's there. I'll go up into the search bar and start searching for the next number available and then I'll see it. And that's really weird. So I just looked at, uh, there was a button that said sort. I changed the sort because I, I noticed that the sort column said last edited or last modified by me. So I changed the filter to last modified and suddenly three documents show up. There Apparently there's another document in here I didn't even know that was there. <laughs> like, you mean this sort? I mean the, the sort, the docs? sort filters. If I never modified it, it has a null and it doesn't show up. I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if that's material design because it's like you didn't touch that paper, so we're not going to show it. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, um, I'm not crazy. I, there's There were documents there that I just had never touched. And I couldn't have touched them because I didn't know they were there. Weird. You learn something new every day. The funny thing is I don't remember ever changing the sort in Google Drive. So that that's the default. <laughs> so if you're sharing a folder with somebody, the default experience as far as I can tell. I'll have to, maybe I'll test this. I don't want to. All right, let's keep let's keep keep it moving. Yeah, Episode uh, 10. No, like I just to wrap that up by one thing like Google kind of pioneered like the whole rapid deployment and quick iterations and change like little things here on in with web apps maybe like 10 years ago. And Google Drive, Google Docs specifically, I've found has over the years like really gone up and down in terms of usability. 
like sometimes they introduce a feature that is makes more sense and sometimes they introduce something where it's like whoa what where did that go i have no clue how to use this anymore and then even when they do that they'll introduce like some onboarding experience with it like little pop-ups a la microsoft clippy and i'll feel i'll, I'll go through those I'll, I'll click through them and then every, they keep coming back like the next five times i go to the site and i'm like no i already saw you i dismissed you yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I you dismissed. I I kept I kept the Clippy around when I found out that I could have a dog on the screen because he was like my little friend. Episode ten. Episode ten. Yeah, we got a new logo. That's right. You're getting your design chops up. That's pretty good. Yeah. I gotta admit, I like the new logo a lot, and uh, kudos to you for that. Yeah. I, it, for anybody's look close, this is actually the th- what you see as of episode ten in iTunes is the third iteration that's been publicly released the logo and all three have been I've been created by me and I've done them all in Pixelmator and uh, you know I, I have a terrible sense of design I do uh, and in fact I'm like I, I feel like I'm in awe of people who d- do design especially like digital graphic design such that, like, I bet people look at us who don't know how to code. And sure. and I got uh, I talked to some of the designers I work with for some tips because I saw them just creating like these awesome graphics. I'm like, how do you how do you even go about like thinking how to create that? I got some tips on what what they do and like what their workflows like, and even kind of use them as a sounding board for some of the draft logos that I've come up with and. Uh, you know, I want to give a special shout out to to Mike S and Brad C, and uh, they, I think, have really given me a lot of good tips. And I, I enjoy using Pixelmator. And in fact, I've gotten so knowledgeable about Pixelmator that I've even come to understand some of its limitations compared to like a more pro tool like Adobe Photoshop or Illustrator. Really, I'd love to talk about that in some at some point because I got Pixelmator to do some light touch up things and and be able to like easily modify like a, a you know add a certain couple pixels or something like that for some android stuff like uh making nine patch images and things like that it, it was a little bit easier to manipulate that and than the tools that were provided at the time and it, it, it's a pretty cheap tool but i've never really understood like i've never been able to grasp more than like cropping and resizing um what the you know, I've never been able to use the full power of one of those tools, and like I'm kind of one of those folks, like kind of in awe when I see somebody just like, you know, going through a Photoshop or any of these like layered graphical, uh, you know, workshops, and you know, as you see somebody like building things and tweaking this, changing this, changing that, and it's just like, man, it's so. It is a, it is definitely an art form, and, and but also like the tools itself is like sometimes they look so complicated. You get these toolbars with so many different buttons and things. Like, I would love to you know hear your perspective on like what the difference is between like a a fifteen or twenty dollar app store thing that's more you know consumer focused versus like a professional tool like the Photoshop kind of thing. Yeah, well the thing is is that it I was look I was watching one of my designers at work do something on the fly. And he was working in Photoshop, and there was this really powerful tool he was using. It was called an adjustment layer. So you just mentioned a minute ago that, like, these tools focus on these things called layers. 
and layers, if you imagine a picture, a layer is going to be like a different group of things that you see in the picture. And you can imagine them as like layers on top of each other. And you can physically lay it, lay it out like that. Like as if you cut out shapes of construction paper and stack them. However you stack those pieces of construction paper will like reveal or hide stuff that's underneath it. And then you can selectively hide and show layers. And there's many other things you do with layers rather than just organize, organizing like its top to bottom hierarchy. One of the special tools he was teaching me about was this thing called adjustment layers. And adjustment layers sound like a really powerful tool. I was trying to Google around like exactly what, what they can do. In the use case I was looking at, an adjustment layer is actually a layer that doesn't really have any content in it as far as I know. And this is, again, me with one week of experience. So if I sound like an idiot, that's no different than usual. An adjustment layer doesn't have any content in it. Instead, it just gives you the ability to kind of provide like this filter on the stuff that's underneath it. So I was using an adjustment layer to control the brightness of stuff underneath the adjustment layer. Okay. Fast forward to then coming home and opening up Pixelmator back in the Brotherly Mobile logo. And I'm like, oh, uh, searching, using the little search and help, trying to find adjustment layer and add, add adjustment layer, can't figure it out. Start Googling around, find like this three-page thread in Pixelmator forum of just the community asking where and when are adjustment layers coming to Pixelmator. So what I come to find out is that Pixelmator doesn't have adjustment layers. Mm. I've, I, fig I came up with a workaround, uh, and again, I don't know if I'm ever going to hit this or not. It was just interesting to see how a real professional designer, one of like their go-to tools in their toolbox, was mysteriously not included with this consumer tier application. And right, I mean... Pixelmator was $30 on the Mac, and Photoshop is $10 a month, or the whole CS suite. So there's like a big, obviously a big difference in, in your pay, you know, you get what you pay for, and I'm more than happy with Pixelmator. It was just interesting to see that something like so, so much of a uh, for, forefront of mind tool for a professional designer wasn't in Pixelmator. And these comments in the forum were, were recent. I don't think I saw anybody from the Pixelmator team chime in. But there's certainly a lot of people who are saying stuff like, where's adjustment layers and this tool, this is why Pixelmator or never be able to replace Photoshop because it's lacking, stuff like this. Hmm. Well, interesting. That is, uh, wow. I mean, that's pretty cool that you have gotten to the point where you actually needed or like, you know, know a tool like that, you know, is missing from what you're using in your tool set where it's like, you know, you actually find yourself wanting for uh, the pro end tool because you actually have a need for it. Yeah. So I got something else going on this week. I wanted, I wanted to talk about before we get into our main topic and uh, coming up this weekend is the Philly code fest. Oh yeah. Let's hear more about that. Well, I've never been to a hackathon or, code fest before i know you have so i kind of want to get like any tips from you on on what to do before going there um i would maybe get just get ready to you know quickly start up a project and and get something going 
And I think that part of the, you know, if, if it's one of these things where you, you learn, like when I, the one that I went to um, was a, an event where it was, there was a topic or a theme that um, was only teased ahead of time and said, this is a, the topic is going to be memes. And it's a competition where everybody there was writing uh, some sort of an Android application that, you know, did something interesting with memes. Okay, and that was all. That was really your only guidelines, uh, and you, you know you had eight hours. I think it was like, or maybe it was like twelve hours. We were there like all day, and the at the end of the day, and with you know you were presenting your application um, to a, a panel of judges who were kind of like walking around, and then there was like you know food and beverages and all that sort of things at, at that at that point. But like, um, you could. Uh, kind of go around and see everybody else's application and man it was really impressive to see what people c- can put together in one day like there were definitely apps that went out to the app store and got a lot of downloads from that competition that day and you know for other people there was just it was a great learning experience and you know it was kind of a test for me it was a test to see um, what I could really you know realistically come up with in a single day and what I learned was I got stuck in the weeds on a couple of you know, features that I thought would be so important to have in the meme app. Like, for example, I, what I ended up building, what we're building was a way that you can kind of, um, what the envision, the vision was that to bring in, like uh, you can search a set of URLs or put your own URL to a picture in the base picture. And then you would be able to just, you know, type the text that you want to, to be the meme of that picture, you know, or the, whatever the text was. And you can like kind of, position it yourself you can drag and drop the text wherever you want it on on the, the picture and i to me it was so important to have this custom font that had you know there was the meme font the big bold you know face all caps font and you know it kind of had like a border around it and i spent too much time building like because the the normal views that you have there uh out of the box don't support like these custom fonts that in the, the you know the file that i found and i spent way too much time focusing on that and then I wasn't and then on the drag and drop and I wasn't able to get like some core functionality put together where I saw these guys put together things where they were sharing pictures or you can just speak into your phone and it would find you know you might say one does not simply do this and it would find the right picture put the text on it and then let you like you know put it in a message that you could either email or send to Facebook or you know whatever all they did this in eight hours and I was just Man, um, I think the the thing there was they just used all the out of the box components and didn't worry too much about how the thing was designed. They just kind of built the prototype using what you know what they had there, and that really made it like uh, you know a great thing. I think that that's key. Like, don't get hung up on on having it be super polished, whatever it is. Like, you know. It, there's a certain um, aspect of you know polish that is expected in a finished product, but I think that the end product of one of these hackathons is un- it's understandable if it doesn't have like the polished aesthetic that you know a-, a finished product would have. If your thing functions and does what it's supposed to do and doesn't have a bug in it, but you know has like a very bare bones, almost like a Craigslist, <laughs> like not really a lot of uh, flair added to it quite yet i think that that's understandable for a you know 
couple of hour event or a, a one or two day event. And that, that's kind of what I would say, focus on functionality um, and not, not so much on the aesthetic of it. One does not simply win CodeFest with aesthetics. One wins with functionality. Come on, that's meme 101 if you don't know where that meme comes from. Well, at the time I went to this thing, I was not skilled in meme. Um, I was pretty lame. I learned a lot there today at, at that CodeFest, and it wasn't just about coding. Okay, so what's that? What's the background on that meme? Uh, that's the one does not simply walk into Mordor. I think you, I haven't seen those movies. You got the reference. You don't know the character. Uh, it's not. It's not the Hobbit. It's it's the Hobbit's friend. Well, you could argue that guy is mostly the Hobbit's friend. He does try. He does turn for a little bit. And I'm Let's gonna... focus on uh, on Codefest. So, what, tell me more about Philly Codefest. Philly Codefest. Yeah, it's happening this weekend. The kickoff is Friday evening, maybe six p.m. ish. And as I understand it, Friday's more kind of like a reception. Officially, they are requesting that coding does not start until 7.30 on Saturday morning. Then coding is open until about 5 p.m. on Sunday, with the building and facilities being open all night. It's kind of interesting, too, the wording, because they specifically cite coding cannot start until 7.30 a.m. on Saturday. So then what else does that leave? planning well hold on is it so is the event like individuals one one on one or one on one you against the world baby no thanks for that clarification it's team based with a minimum of three participants per team with a cap i think around six okay so let me then change what i was saying about strategy okay let me hear it if you have somebody on your team who is um a skilled design type person i think that maybe with the what is there a cap of how many people you can be have on your team say six i'm not totally sure it's right there is a cap it's around six could be seven could be eight okay i doubt it's eight i'm pretty sure it's six we did is talk everyone about on your team going to be like um like did do they suggest you bring like different like skill sets to the team or is it all straight up coders are you all are you all ios developers or is it like just any kind of developer no actually i'm pretty pumped about the team that came together and it is two ios developers and in fact the other ios developer is my colleague in my in my day job which i think is going to be a huge plus because we're really we're already like a lot of any issues around workflow with collaboration on code Jellin. yeah that's going to be that's going to be i'm really excited that I, I was able to rope him in at the last minute then we also have a designer, and she's ready to jump in both as a interaction designer doing wireframes, doing graphical design of the actual graphics. And there you go. Yeah, and then that's kind of what you're going to be doing on Friday night. Yep. Well, actually, and I'll even reveal that we've already even started that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that's not breaking the rules. Again, that's where it falls into like that strict wording around no coding until Saturday. Well, we just won't release this episode till after this uh, weekend. Then our fourth teammate is actually a backend developer, so he's ready to write server side in in uh, Node, and I'm not sure what database he's going to use. I think MongoDB. Hmm. Well, I think uh, I think that sounds like 
I would definitely change my strategy a little bit if you have somebody who is there who can be the person to because you know that could give you the edge if you've got teams here if you've got people who do have you know strong engineering and design on a combo or like a combo on a team then i think that you know there is going to be a ex- expectation that there's going to be you know this thing's going to look good or you're going to have competition who's going to be putting out something that looks good too so i would uh maybe take that back what i where i was coming from it was a solo competition so that would be you know if you're a designer who's learning how to, to develop, I would still kind of focus on functionality over the aesthetics for a one-day, you know, head-to-head competition kind of thing. Yeah, and how many hours was yours? Eight. Yeah, and this so this one is about 36 yeah, with so four people. Four people, 36 hours, you know, Red Bulls. Oh, sorry, hold on. They're not our sponsor. Um Ripper energy drink, um, you know, a couple of those, and uh, crack out something pretty nice over a weekend, I'm sure. Yeah, I want to get it's kind of interesting how the team came together, too. It was uh, back a group of us in our day job. There was kind of an email at the day job that went out indicating Philly Code Fest was happening, and this even tracks back its history to last year's Code Fest that a couple of our couple people I work with actually went to be mentors there. And they came back after the weekend and everybody was like all hyped up that we could totally build something that wins the competition next year. Fast forward to next year, this year, and uh, the email goes out again that, hey, Philly Code Fest is coming up. Let's get a team together and just take this thing down. So a group of maybe like 10 of us, 10 to 12 of us had a showed initial interest. And we started having, we start getting together for like a half hour on Fridays, start brainstorming, trying to figure out what the team is. And we're looking around being like, wow, we got enough people. There are two teams here. And as the weeks go by, we're kind of like struggling, coming up with an idea. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but nobody was really taking over as head chef. And uh, we, there was no really good direction being set. What idea were we going to pick? I don't think people really kind of like latched. None of the ideas, and I honestly even felt like I was trying to really do my best to collaborate, but none of the ideas I was really latching on to. Were the parameters for the idea, or can you just build whatever you want in that, in that time? Well, that's that's the weird thing. There are, there are some very loose parameters, and apparently there's going to be some data sets released that are optional for use. Some of the parameters that have been set kind of align with the sponsors' business areas. So health is health is one of the ones that that's pretty big. Uh, cybersecurity is a theme that's pretty big. Government and civic solutions, media and digital arts, data science and visualization, and hardware tools are are the areas just the suggested areas. Now, as much focus as all these resources of the uh, fest have put around it's also kind of oddly open as well like they're really leaving it open to interpretation innovation and and free-flowing ideas maybe that was why we had such a hard time locking in on something so as the weeks went by and this was maybe over a period of two months where we were just periodically touching in with each other that person by person people dropped out for one reason or another. 
and I was kind of feeling bummed. Like I'm, I'm wondering. Like I didn't want to really be like the last man standing. Like where I'm like, uh, what? Um, I, I don't. I because I those situations, I like feel awkwardly guilty about. Like, do I? I don't want to like now. You know, let go on my commitment, but right, also understandable. Wanna, yeah. Then uh, s- within the past, basically about a week, we did get down a team size to about four people and four people who were lo- were committed. And we started, we kind of shifted up a, our ge- up a gear and started really uh, putting some time in at nights after work, trying to brainstorm what the ideas would be. And we kind of locked into two two different ideas, both of which we liked, and we were kind of up in there about which one we liked, about which one was kind of like the group consensus. We spent a bunch of time banging each one around. And uh, the last night was kind of like the final, the final meeting where we had user stories written for each idea. Ooh, going and, agile with it. And competitive analysis done and we were bringing in subject matter experts to talk to to kind of provide the problem domain and really at the end of the call the group consensus was for an idea that I didn't really like it wasn't that I, the group consensus was not my consensus okay and I basically said I wasn't interested and I kind of felt you know I I I'm like you in that, like, I like going with the flow and I hate going against the tide. I didn't really want to spend a weekend of my time working on something that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't passionate about the idea. I didn't really see what my iOS native mobile app skill set was going to bring to the idea. I think even, like, I posed the question to the group, like, would you... If I backed out, does that make or break the idea? And nobody said, I, I'm sorry, I said, if I back out, does that put you guys in a bind with this idea? And nobody said yes. So, was, again, that, like, goes to show I was what was I really contributing to the idea? And really, I think the final thing was that I, I'm reading this FAQ for Philly Code Fest of all these hints that they're making about, like, the type of ideas that they're looking for. And with the idea that I was passionate about, I kept making like these dotted line connections of different like ways to innovate and like that I, I could actually see that this product is actually what they're looking for. Now, again, I don't know if that's personal bias because it was the idea I like more. <laughs> anyway, I, I, this was after like a two hour meeting. It was 11 o'clock last night after a long day at work. My brain was fried. So I, I really didn't want to let go to sleep that night with it being in limbo about whether I was going to participate with that other idea. So I said no. I think I frustrated everybody because I think they might have thought I was under the impression that I was along with I, I was I would go along with the idea up until then, and uh, I didn't really, you know, I was kind of uncomfortable with that. Slept on it. So this then today I touched base with a couple of the team members, and lo and behold, everybody except one person actually shared my feeling as well. Hmm. So. We had a conversation, and we per- basically split the team in two. And one person's going to continue with the other idea and recruit a team, probably on Friday night, possibly with some other peop- other other people that they know. And then the other three of us 
are going to go implement this other idea, and that's why I recruited another iOS dev today. And I'm pretty excited with what we're going to build. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about what the products that you guys build are or what kind of uh, things you hear about that. And uh, it's kind of a shame that I couldn't uh, be there for, to do this. I had a longstanding uh, trip planned. And actually, that is a good uh, uh, time to mention that it's. I think you said you had something planned to actually maybe get some uh, interviews at the Code Fest with, with random different people or... Yeah, well, maybe this is where you can help me with what CodeFest etiquette is. Like, I don't think I'm going to be going tapping somebody on the shoulder who's got, like, their headphones on, sitting in a corner, furiously coding away to be like, hey, let me ask you a question. Why, what brings you to CodeFest this year? Hmm. I, or, think, I think there'll be opportunities. Um, you know, you said you're going to bring, like, a microphone around. I think there'll be opportunities to mention, hey, I'm on a podcast and uh, – or, you know, I, I, I'm a co-host a podcast and I want to try and – get uh your opinion about a couple things i think maybe you will probably think of some good questions or some feelings that you're having about the thing and then maybe just try and gauge other people's uh, things of you know uh, what's going on there and you can maybe even interview people about what they think the challenges are uh, of the of like doing it in a code fest format are or i don't know you'll you'll think of something good and people will have good stuff to talk about people are excited at those things man it's a lot of a lot of energy in those rooms and people are having fun and generally you know open to meeting new i don't know you'll, you'll see a lot of people that are that are there that are going to be you know open to meeting and mingling with with new people you're the all like like-minded people there for a certain reason and uh yeah it's a lot of fun yeah that's kind of my thought too i think I'll, I'll be able to i like what you're saying like kind of maybe riff on some thoughts feelings i'm having to get other people's impressions like of their if they're feeling the same thing who knows depends when you do it too maybe if you're doing it the last day when there's like presentations of like the projects and that sort of thing and like some in downtime in between or whatever that they have like a showcase kind of thing maybe you could talk to people about what their ideas were or what they you know what how they think their things gonna or what new technical things or challenges they may have you know come across to, to try and do this in a short amount of time or something yeah lots of different things you can talk about as you're bringing it back to what you mentioned, though, you're out of town next week, and it kind of coincides nicely with this Code Fest because one thing I'm planning for next week is a little bit change of format. Our 10 episodes so far have been very lightly edited in general, as Dan Benjamin has taught us on the podcast method. We are live to tape. In fact, I find it I find it inconvenient and a headache any time I have to go back into the track and put chops in there and, and splice them together. I love just taking the MP3s, making sure they're lined up, adding intro music, uh, fixing the levels a little bit, and and bouncing the MP3. Next week, I'm going to try something a little bit different, just kind of like a personal project, using some of the audio clips from the weekend, and I'll intersperse my own commentary. And... Uh, Maybe try to go with uh, try a single episode that's a little more heavily edited, and with a little bit more kind of like production quality, like if you will, and see how that goes. Great! I can't wait to hear that. I, I really don't think it'll be something for the long term. I think at the following week we'll re we will return to like our normal our normal schedule because I I'm not in one. I'm not going to be going to Code Fest every weekend, and two. It's. I. I don't think it's something. I think it's going to take a lot of time. I mean, it's. It's. It would. I mean, you just maybe think of something interesting. Like, there are people who go every weekend to a different music festival. 
it's a d- totally different kind of fest. You know, it's like <laughs> go to a travel to a code different code. You could fest just every try weekend? and find. There, I'm sure you could find code fests and that sort of thing in like different cities, and you could just like set up shop and you know make pizzas at, out of your trunk and sell them to people or something like that in the parking lot. Who knows? Act, you know, come to think of it, like maybe even a twist. I know you're being half sarcastic. A different twist on that would be if this goes well and we gain, we you know, our listener base grows and I have fun editing this, and I think the re- I'm happy with the result. Is we could do the same thing, going to the Cocoa Heads meetup in Philly. We could go to the Data Philly meetup. We go to the Android Heck Alliance. Yeah. Do yeah. do the same thing. Speaking of that, I mean, I I just saw somehow uh, right before the show a. Uh, some kind of a plug for the Philly Cocoa Heads now records the talks that, that are given at that me- at those meetings and they have them on Vimeo. And uh, I was just watching one on WatchKit right before we started the call here. And I thought that was really cool because, you know, I, I heard some some voices uh, in the background, like people laughing and stuff like that in the video that I'm pretty sure I knew who they were. And it was pretty cool to like see a video that's like technical thing like that and, and have a, a, you know, local local connection kind of thing like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I that was the one last Thursday. It was Watch Kid. I was hoping to go to that. In fact, we were actually uh, my son was with my parents that night, so we were we were kidless. We did have plans though, unfortunately, to go out and celebrate Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Um, yeah. So what else? Uh, Code Fest. That sounds good. It's going to be awesome. Um. I'm excited to hear that that the episode next week how that goes. Yeah, uh, I'm really I'm really excited. I think within the past day or two, I, my excitement's gone from being kind of like reluctant to, that this thing was looming and I didn't have really a, like a solid team or an idea I backed to now it's like I have a team forward. that's going to like really execute and an idea that's pretty easily definable and something that's going to lend itself to an awesome app. Sure, that's awesome. Um. So we can also probably talk about what the app was. Maybe you can just have a little talk about what the app was uh, in next episode so I don't have to wait two weeks to hear about that. Yeah, and hopefully I can just point you to the winner's page and have you look right at the top at number one for a quick bio as well. Uh, That's a very optimistic outlook. Um, I I wish you the best of luck, and I'm sure sure, I know you can do it. So let's see. What uh, What else is on your mind? Well, we had a topic written down actually last week that we didn't get to, and it was back to our good old favorite software estimation. Mm-hmm. And I want to put a twist on it. And this week it is, I heard the phrase cut bait used in the past week. And I really I really like it because it's kind of like, it, it kind of, you know, if you're an economics-minded person, you might think of it as sunk cost. But when do you actually give up on implementation and switch to something else? And maybe we can put that in light to our kind of yin and yang experience with estimation with a feature we were working on recently as we were building out as we were building out a, a feature in parallel on iOS and Android. Right. So the the app, as you said, is is, is like a kind of very similar on both platforms but you know totally native applications and so they use a lot of native controls and and things like that um and in particular both of the apps kind of have like a a set of tabs and there was a a situation where you know 
we wanted to add more information, a different tab, but it was too many to have. And we thought that something felt better, um, kind of two of the pages felt better in one, you know, in the place of one of the pages. And so we were kind of condensing down two different pages of information and um, into one with kind of a segmented controller. Think of it like, you know, you can think of it like if you were able to sort your inbox by read and, un and unread emails that are in your inbox and just kind of be able to toggle between those two. Whereas before, they may have been two different tabs. Well, we estimated high on Android. Um, we were kind of, the team was a little bit almost scared or reluctant to, to go into the sprint because of Android, uh, our hesitance to uh, to doing this just because we thought there was going to be some trouble with how we, we write our tests. Um, and just in general, we've never really had to do this kind of thing before where we were using a view pager um, is the, the name of the, the um, class that we were using to, to display these different um, tabs uh, of information. And um, each thing is like a page that that view, taper, view pager kind of holds. And we never had to take two and condense it down into one. And we had this approach in mind that we were going to make one new super fragment uh, or page that kind of had owned two sub pages and it would kind of keep both of those in memory and kind of swap them back and forth. And, um, we were pretty, it was pretty risky, um, the way we, we planned to do that. And I think it, that was in contrast to iOS's, uh, the iOS side of this had estimated that theirs was going to be, you know, the implementation was going to be much easier. I don't remember the details of how it was, what, what the approach was. And maybe I've gone into too much detail here, but uh, no, the on iOS, you, like you said, it's a tab-driven application, so we use UI tab bar controller, and we needed to combine two of those tabs and make one tab that then had two views controller can, that were toggled by UI segmented control. And I know there's this, there's this things called container views in iOS that are meant for just that, where you basically reuse all of your UI view controller code, and you can then say, okay then this this view controller drives content for this view and then use this other view controller for this view even though the views are on like your same air quotes page mm -hmm. and i had even done some proof of concepting with that that i you know got to the point where i'm like oh this is going to be a cakewalk this is so easy to do lo and behold and that was we going into our sprint. We had our user story, which was, as a user, I want to see these pieces of information on one page. I want these tabs to be combined. In our sprint planning, like you mentioned, Android had a inflated estimate. And iOS, we, we way underestimated. We, we said it was going to be real short. And... I would sum it up like this, that 99% of the functionality took 1% of the time. There was one specific edge case with how the table view that was in these views that were being toggled, then where the content was aligned with the tab bar controller at the bottom. And we could not get 
the, tab the table view content offset to be correct on both iOS 8 and iOS 7. And no matter what we did, we would get it right in one place and it would be wrong in the other. Hmm. And what was so frustrating about it was, like I said, everything else was working and it took, it took an hour to get 99% of the functionality done until we hit this edge case. So what's so frustrating is that you're almost like at the end of a marathon reaching out, brushing your fingers against the finish line except that you hit some quicksand or like cement dries around your feet and you literally can't get any further to get over there and clock in your completed race. And you can't call it done. You can't say you finished the race. I, you know, I was, we were at the point where we were looking, we, we really wanted to get this thing done because, and we were looking for ways even, I'm not going to say a shortcut to take, but maybe a compromise we could have taken on iOS 7, that's an older OS, and there really wasn't anything that we could have, that we were satisfied with or we could have called acceptable. So the alternative was that, you know, we had to undertake a refactoring. I think, I think at the end point, we, we knew the end result was going to be something really favorable, a much cleaner code base. But it was a big undertaking, and it was kind of something where I was like, I was like a little bit annoyed that the, the first implementation wasn't going to work out, and we were so close to finishing it. On the other hand, I knew that this alternative refactoring was going to play out well. But I, I knew it was going to basically mean we missed our sprint commitment. And, you know, as a software professional, committing to something, giving an accurate estimate and meeting that commitment is like one of the most important things to me because ultimately that's like, you know, the people, the people paying my salary and the customer, which is our end users, the customer, are, you know, getting the functionality that much later. So really the refactoring we took on was uh, something that I had maybe done a couple times in the past uh, and it was kind of nice to just refresh myself. Uh, basically what was each of these two tabs in, in the original implementation that we had to combine were table view driven pages. And, you know, UI table views are powered by two different protocols, primarily UI table view delegate and UI table view data source. The data source provides the data to the table view and I think might be the only required protocol. The delegate's an optional protocol and that allows you for like the callbacks of what happened when a cell is tapped and a cell is about to be displayed. I'm not, I f can't remember exactly if will display cell is in the, is in the, uh, delegate of the data source but what were tab what were two different tabs needed to be combined and really the right way to do it which we recognized through this refactoring was to really cone it down to be a single view controller with one table view that had its data source and delegates switched out depending on the data that needed to be displayed and that's the refactoring we did and it was made a little more complicated because of how the data for the table views was obtained and using core data with arc with a uh, fetch results controller made it a little more difficult in order to get that decoupling between the view controller and the delegate data source 
on the other hand, I think not only did this refactoring result with cleaner code, it also decoupled a couple of other pieces of the, of the app that we haven't been happy with lately. So it gets us, at least in this one area, a couple steps forward. And I think finally, as of today, which might be about a week and a day since we set out to do the refactoring is that we're wrapping it up. I think at the end of the today, end of the day today, we did find one more edge case bug that we got to fix. But I was I was ready. This bug will be easy. I know because it's just a matter of tracking down some state. It's not like we're gonna. It's not like something that we're gonna be fighting in the storyboard. Yeah, the Android story is much less. Uh, was much less. Uh, I don't know dramatic or uh, much less of a change it was like we thought it was going to be a much bigger change and we realized pretty quickly it was pretty complex what we were trying to do by having one big super fragment that would contain both of these existing fragments and just kind of tie it together with like a shared um, ui element that would only be uh, in the super fragment but instead we just kind of made it more of an illusion um we said what if we just had what if the view controller or you know the view pager had four elements and the the one that has to you know you know seemingly contain two was just really two different fragments that you swapped out you just so instead you know when you press the button to to show the other one it's not like showing you two different parts of like uh, one fragment. It's it's literally changing what's at index two in the view pager with the other fragment. And we just made the same UI um, control the buttons on both pages and made one look selected on one and one look selected on the other and just pop them back out. And it's it was like very small change to do this. It was basically like layout changes. Um, and we were able to just, you know, reuse pretty much all of the tests that we had written before and, and all of the, the code uh, for the pages was, you know, was basically amounted to adding like one method somewhere um, to the, the main activity that held it all together. And it was uh, you know pretty easy. So all in all, I think that what I learned was that sometimes um, it's not, there are multiple ways to think about something. And I think that it's, in some t cases, if you're happy with the code under uh, under you know that you have there already, the existing legacy code, and you can reuse it, um, then by all means try. I think that that should be you know go for reuse as much as possible. When you are not happy with certain code and you found there's been some snags or it's been buggy or whatever, and you reach one of those situations where hey uh, maybe it doesn't make sense. Um, to keep adding on or duct taping things into here just to make you know this new functionality that I want to work that's maybe when it's sometimes the best like time to pay down some of that debt or, or whatever cruft is there and, and and you know come at it like if if, if a cleaner approach is gonna you know if it's gonna take you a couple more days to like just you know totally re rewrite something and it's gonna give you a cleaner approach for the future that's more maintainable I think it's worth it. It's when it becomes like a, you know, a question of like, this is going to be months and months or years or whatever, because the project has so much. That's when it's like, you know, it's tough to get the plan, be more st strategic about it. When you're yeah, talking about a week or days. I think that's more of a tactical uh, thing to, to tackle. 
that's where I started the conversation. Cut bait, sunk cost. I, it's such a hard decision to make. And this goes really for anything in life. When you put such an investment into it, which, you know, I had, it, it was like with every additional hour, I was trying to fight f- the framework and get that initial implementation working. The more committed I felt to it and the more frustrated I felt to it. So it's kind of like this vicious push and pull with how I was feeling. And my only regret is that I didn't cut bait earlier. The minute it wasn't working, I sh- you know, I should have had an intervention and with myself, if not from my team, and then been like, Okay, we're done. We're moving on to the better solution. It's gonna we're gonna that one we're gonna try that and and go and go with that. I think maybe the only thing that was holding me back from that was knowing how much work that was gonna be. And it wasn't like in in I was, I guess I was a little fearful that that amount of work, and you're right, it, it was not months or years, it was, it ended up being a week, so I, you could even like call it days of work. I was afraid that to confirm that implementation approach was not going to be like a quick, it was not going to be able, we were not going to be able to confirm the rewrites implementation approach right out of the box. So it could have been like a week worth of work and then like, Had oh, to cut bait to, at that point again. Right, right. And maybe that's just being, maybe that's just like a little, you know, misplaced fear. I don't know. I think this comes down to like one of the things I was saying I was going to do more of this year, which was prototyping. It's like when you can try and do it, maybe not like you just do it outside of your code base in a new project, just like whatever you're trying to do, come up with a super simple example and, and prototype it outside of there. And, and prove it like, uh, you know, you have you had this hypothesis, it'll work in this app. But the thing is, that's not always a surefire way to do it any, any, you know, either. This is why it's hard. It's like there's so much. It's not just like coding and knowing the language to, to build an app, especially with it, like, you know, where you're trying to keep things in sync on, on multiple platforms, uh, including the web. It's like there's so much um, behind the scenes on when there's legacy code and there's everything else. It's like. It's a, it's definitely like a, a balancing act. It comes down to a lot of different like balancing out and compromising between different, uh, different things. But I think that you know, at the end of the day, all you can try and do is just make the best decision in the moment, um, with what you're working with. Yep. Yep. Anyway, uh, so anything new with? Oh, let me ask you this: Did you have anything else that you wanted that you wanted to share that you've learned from the experience, or is that? No, that's about it. So, any new um, Swift tips? Sorry, that was terrible. <clears throat> Swift tip, Swift. Oh, forget it. Swift tips. Yeah, this one. Continuing the theme of not really specific programming tip, Swift one two came out within the past week. And, you know, it's easy to forget that this is still a language that's under development. I certainly forgot that, and I'm not even writing much Swift, as much Swift as I'm trying to learn. I, you know, Swift 1.2 came out, and I was kind of like, I haven't even really read the release notes in much detail at this point. Uh, it does hit you like, oh, wow, we're right, this this Swift, this language is under development. And there was a, there was a good quote by the new shepherd of nshipster.com Nate Cook and he wrapped up his most recent article with the quote okay so none of our code works anymore 
and Stack Overflow has 21,000 out-of-date Swift questions. W explain. Now, so 1.2 1 meant that when that came out, he was forced to upgrade to this new thing and nothing worked or what? As as I understand it, yeah, Swift 1.2 comes out and you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, use Swift 1.2. You can't like choose not to, you know, adopt the new the new update. That's a good question. I don't know for sure, and I don't know which Xcode requires Swift 1.2. I don't think I got a forced download of it or not, and I don't know specifically if Apple's still calling it a beta or not. As I, under as I understand how Apple usually does updates like this, that if, for instance, X the new Xcode comes out, which will be required to support iOS 8.1, I'm sorry, 8.2 or 8.3 or or uh, WatchKit when that comes out, that it'll be bundled with Swift 1.2 and there'll be no way to down downgrade. Now, again, this is all theoretical. I've not even actually downloaded Swift 1.2 or, or Swift 1.2 at all yet, so I, I'm not totally sure there. I do think it's funny, though, reading these reactions and me myself realizing that as I go to it, spending my personal investment in learning Swift, that these other people who kind of like much further with Swift are having sarcastic, cynical comments like that. Now, th again, that is probably like over the top and, and taken out of context of a, of a largely positive article covering the changes in one, two. But it's still funny that stuff like this is being said. And also to kind of balance out as extreme of a comment that is a coworker of mine who is writing a lot of Swift said he only had to change one single character in all the code that he's written to be compatible with Swift 1.2. Wow. So, I mean, I guess it all really depends on the, the scope of what you what parts of the language you've used in whatever, you, whatever you've built so far. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So well, just be, be aware, buyer beware, things are changing. And mileage may vary. Mileage may vary. Well, I think uh, I think this is a great place to to call it. Great Swift tip, and uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's edition of Brotherly Mobile. Uh, you can find our show notes at brotherlymobile.com/episode/ten. Uh, Andy, if people want to reach out and talk to you online, where would they do that? Well, first, look for me at Philly Code Fest this weekend, Boom. and online um, follow me on twitter at obusek o-b-u-s-e-k and i am at mr ryan last name is r-e-i-n and uh we'll see you next well maybe andy will have something special from uh from code fest for next week see you later bye